So we have excited to have James come and speak, and he's actually going to uh, finish off our series that we've been going through for the last couple months of uh, Your Kingdom Come. So uh, I'm just going to pray for you, and then I'll, uh, I'll pass it over for you. Sounds good. Lord, we thank you for uh, James and his heart to uh, teach on this topic, Lord. We trust that you have blessed his preparation this week, uh, and we look forward to the ways in which you're going to speak through him. We pray that you would anoint his words uh, as he speaks uh, and anoint his preparation. We pray that you would open our hearts as well to all that you have to say to us uh, about your kingdom this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. Uh, Sarah and I are privileged to be part of your community. Uh, I guess we've been coming for almost two years, and uh, it's been really neat. It's been really healing for both of us, seeing how everyone interacts and, and the way you all come, you've all come together and stuff like that's been, been a huge blessing. Um, I'm also excited because it's Canada, or Canada Day long weekend anyway. Um, I'm very patriotic, and I, and I was, uh, just love celebrating our country and really... I'm proud of, of Canada. I'm proud of our, our role in the world. I'm proud of how we've helped other nations become free from, from tyranny and, and yet how we also are inventive and, and we're able to, we've created things like the Canada Arm and in Burnaby they're building quantum computers which are the best computers in the world and nobody else can even figure out how they work. And, and so it's really neat to, to be Canadian and I'm very proud of it, but I'm more proud to be part of the kingdom with all of you. Um, I'm going to be speaking on kingdom identity, the power of knowing who we are. Um, let's see. Who I am. <laughs> this is a question I've found myself asking many times, and I'm sure you have as well. Do you ever feel worthless or ashamed, not of anything you've done, but just by being? Or do you ever wonder why God created you? or people in general, especially when you look at the pain in the world. What is the purpose of it all? What is the purpose of man or woman? These are questions I have wrestled with and will probably continue to wrestle with. Even though I've begun to answer some of these questions, I find myself wrestling with God over new ones. Like, is what he says really true? Could it really be possible that he loves me, accepts me, and believes in me? And how do I walk out this new life? In a world where we identify ourselves by sexual desires, <laughs> even question our gender, it is becoming even more important to know who we are. If we don't understand who we are and teach our children who they are, we will easily get caught up in accepting what others say about us or, what, or that desire or stray thought can determine our identity. How are we going to bring hope to people, healing to people, or the kingdom to the world around us if we aren't confident in who we are? What we believe both about who we are and who God is has far-reaching impacts on the way we live and respond to others, ourselves, and God. In Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. 
love your neighbor as yourself. So often as the church, we focused on how to love our neighbor or how to love God, and we often forget that in order to truly love our neighbor, we need to first love ourselves. But to love ourselves, we need to know who we are and be grateful and thankful for it. Guessing the PowerPoint is, is not working as well as the countdown, so. Oh, it is. Oh, okay, just not there. Sorry about that. To understand something, you have to know the purpose for which it was created. A builder doesn't start throwing parts together to wait and see what happens. He looks at a problem, he sees the need, he dreams, he thinks, and then he creates. Or in God's case, he speaks. We wanted a bench in our garage for the kids to put their boots under, hang their coats on so that they wouldn't be tracking mud into the house. So I looked at the material on hand and I built a bench. It met the need and the purpose and it was an easy plan to follow. In Genesis 26, verse 1, 26 to 28, God outlined the purpose and the reason for us. It says, let us make man in our image According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God made us in his image to be full of love, peace, to be holy, to bring justice, mercy, to have imagination, joy, a desire to create, and to connect. He called us to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. And he said, he called us to have dominion. Now, dominion is the power or right of governing, controlling, sovereign authority to rule or control a territory, usually of considerable size, in which one ruler holds sway, to control lands or domains subject to sovereign control. Dominion is authority with responsibility. But it's important to remember, God wanted man to have dominion and authority. It is in our nature. It has been twisted so often, used inappropriately, but God put it there in us. What we have to remember is that we were given that power to bring order and chaos and to serve and empower others and creation itself. How we see ourselves is important. How we understand dominion and our authority is important. It has far-reaching effects. We just need to look at the fall and the consequence of believing lies. In Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5, the serpent came to Eve and he said, they were talking about the fruit, and he said, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The challenge was she was already created like God. 
Therefore, it was in her natural desire to want to be like him. The problem began when, with that question because she began to question whether or not she was like him. And since it was in her desire, it was easy to pick the fruit. It was easy to eat it because there was a desire in there to want to be like God in the first place. And that, that question, that wonder of whether she was or not, caused the, the fall. We see it again when we look at the Israelites. <laughs> after watching them go through, or sorry, after watching them leave Egypt, you see them being chased by Pharaoh. God's done all these miraculous miracles. He's led them through the Red Sea. He's provided them with food. He's been there. He's led them by fire by night, cloud by day. And then they go to the promised land. They're standing on the edge. They send out the spies, and the spies come back. And in Numbers 13, 33, they say, There we saw the giants, and to ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. This very thought about how we see ourselves. The fact that they looked like grasshoppers caused them to end up in fear. They forgot the miracles that God had already done before them, how he had delivered them from insurmountable circumstances, how he had provided for them. Sorry. And it just kind of it kind of breaks my heart that they saw themselves and they saw God in such a, a poor light. And we can contrast that with Moses, who was chosen by God to lead the Israelites. But the interesting thing, the interesting difference between Moses and the Israelites is Moses was raised in the palace and the Israelites were raised as slaves. Even though they were raised in the same area, Moses saw himself as a prince he saw himself with authority. He, he believed that he could change things. Yes, God met him with a, a fire, or sorry, a bush on fire, and did all these miraculous things through him. But Moses had a different foundation for belief in himself. He, he, what, he didn't accept a slave mentality, and you saw that even as he fought and killed the, the slave master. He wasn't ready to settle for the captivity. And yet the Bible talks about how humble Moses was, and yet he stood defiant in, in front of Pharaoh, and he set the people free. He believed what God said about him, and was willing to trust God and do what he said he could do. We can go through the Bible, story after story, from Abraham to Gideon, Daniel, Jeremiah, into the New Testament with Paul and Peter and John. And I would encourage you to go through and see what they believed about themselves and what God could do through them altered history. Each one of them had a transforming experience with God, and they had to decide whether God, what God said about them was true. God's original intent was redeemed on the cross. Our original intent was redeemed on the cross through the work that Jesus did. We call it being born again or saved, and it simply means that we are healed and restored back to our original design. Colossians 1.12 says, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness 
and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's probably my favorite verse in the Bible. So often I see myself stuck in that kingdom of darkness, stuck under sin, stuck under weight, heaviness, anxiety, fear. The mere thought that he's conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. He saw us worthy. He deemed the suffering on the cross worthy of us to transfer us. And I love the way he puts it into the kingdom of the son of his love. Not just into the kingdom of his son, but of the son of his love. And he wants to draw us in. We're called to be children of God. John 1, 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are not born of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. As saved Christians, we're born of the will of God. We're born by the Spirit. We're a new creation. And furthermore, creation waits eagerly with expectation for us to be revealed. I mean, think about that. In Romans 8, 18 to 21, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Hmm. What does it look like for creation to eagerly long for us to be revealed? Creation itself is waiting for us to know who we are. Waiting for us to accept the fact that we're sons and daughters of the living God. To begin to walk in such a way as we accept the authority and the power that we have to set creation free, to set one another free. Hmm. I believe that as we seek God and agree with who He says, we are, (laughs) that our true identity will unfold day by day. As we get into the word, it says it's like a mirror, and it reveals who we are. Think about that, the very word of God. When you get into it in the morning, or you spend time in the presence of God, you have the opportunity to see who he is, and we're many reflections of that. We're called to be many reflections of our Father God here on this earth to bring his kingdom, his dominion, and his power everywhere we go. Hmm. 
Like I said earlier, at times I wrestle with fear, I wrestle with anxiety, I wrestle with sin, probably like every one of us. And yet that's not how he sees me. That's not what the Bible says about me. It calls me a saint. I've been transferred into his kingdom. But I've got to change the way I view myself. We're valued by him. If value is determined by the price someone is willing to pay for something, then each of us is immeasurably immeasurably valued. John 3.16 says it so plainly, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you think of yourself as having that much value? Do you think of yourself as worthy of what Jesus did on the cross? I know I don't. I wrestle with it regularly. How could I be? God's son died on the cross for me. I have to stop when I get anxious or worried or feel afraid in other people. And I have to take a moment to remember he loves me. It doesn't really matter so much what the person sitting across from me thinks. When I'm accepted by the creator... Proved by his son on the cross. And then he gives me his Holy Spirit to confirm it. And I'm able to sit across from people that I would normally be afraid of. That I would normally want to back down. And then I stop and I remember who I am. I'm, I'm a son of the living God. And I can stand in front of them with great joy. Not because I'm better than them, but because I'm equal to them. Because that person sitting across from me has that same equal value. And that's the awesome thing. The more I know who I am, the more clearly I can see who every other person was created to be. Created in the image of God. Created to be holy. My wife's been doing some counseling courses and She's dealing with talking about homosexuality and gender identity and and all these things that are going around in our culture right now. And they can seem like big, kind of huge and scary things for us to deal with. But they really just break my heart. I don't think they're things that we really need to wrestle with the way we wrestle with. We wrestle with whether they're right or whether they're wrong and The Bible's clear that they're not right, but that person that's sitting there that's struggling, they're lost. They don't know who they are. It's so easy to judge somebody that doesn't know who they are. We see their sin, and we want to judge them for it. I look at my sin, and I want to judge myself for it so frequently. But how I need to judge myself? It's looking at who I am, looking at who God made me to be realizing that I'm righteous, even when I don't feel like it, not because of my own righteousness, but because of his. I get to walk in that. Each one of us has the privilege of walking in his righteousness, in his holiness. 
in his kingdom, with his power in us, with his Holy Spirit in us empowering us. <laughs> so often, we feel weak, and yet the Bible says that we're strong. And again, it's not our own strength, it's his. We're called to be kingdom citizens, to be a kingdom of priests, in Exodus 19.6, it says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So the children of Israel, before Jesus died on the cross, are called a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. How much more are we? With the revelation of what Christ has done, are we not to be called priests and a holy nation? So often we focus on our faults, we focus on our sins, and we try and get rid of them. But every time we focus on them, we actually give them more power. If we focused on who we are, if I actually believed that I was holy, I'd walk differently. I'd look differently. I'd act differently. We're called to be ambassadors. Second Corinthians 520 says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. It's an ambassador's job to bring kingdom reality wherever they go. Canada sends ambassadors around the world to represent what we think what we feel, what we believe. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to go into the world. We're called to bring the reality of the kingdom with us. As individuals and as the church. In Ephesians 3, 10 to 12, it says, the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and, act, er, and access with confidence through faith in him. The church. We're called to declare his reality to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We're the church. We're to speak it. We're to pray it. We're to let it be known what God's will is here and now. North America, it's been easy to become comfortable. It's a post Christian nation. We're a nation built on Christian values. And I think it's easy to, to become lazy. I think the church is, and me included, I'm not pointing any fingers, has uh, kind of stepped back a lot. We've, we've allowed a lot to go on in our, in our country, in our nation, and, and we've been influenced by the world. And, and so often, either we've become afraid to speak or we wait until we're angry to speak or, or speak out of judgment rather than compassion. 
And I believe God's calling us to, to remind the world in our prayer and with our words what God's desire is. That he wants to see his kingdom come. That he wants our nation, our city, our school, our workplace to be impacted. Mark 16, 15 He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Seems like a funny phrase. He actually said to all creation, not just to people, but to all creation. And so often we focus on preaching the gospel to people, and we should. They need to hear it. They need to know what the kingdom is about. But we're called to preach to all creation. I don't know. I, was, I met with a friend a while ago, and he was telling me he actually preaches to his plants in his garden. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, ever since he started, his garden's multiplied probably fivefold, he said. You hear about stories of revival in... I don't know if you've ever seen the transformations video from a long time ago where they're pulling up carrots. They're huge. And in the process of revival coming to nations, not only are the people changed, but the land itself has changed. I was listening to one pastor speak, and he was in Dallas. He lived in Dallas at the time, and he's since moved to Los Angeles. But they were planning on building a church, and the city wouldn't let them build on this one property, even though it was given to them, because the soil was so bad. It was... I think it was used for a gas station or something and the tanks had leaked and it was, they're just like, you can't build anything where you want people to be on this. Like, there's no chance. And, and he was part of the uh, Baptist denomination. And so he kept sending people out to pray. And they took three sam- or soil samples in about a year and the denomination was getting pretty frustrated because it kept coming up the same. Like, there's gas and there's oil and there's all these contaminants in the soil. You can't build here. And so they had the congregation come and they prayed over the land. And six months later, he he got up the nerve to go back to the denomination and ask them for more funds for another soil sample. And that soil was clean. No trace of fuel. No trace of oil. (laughs) It's amazing what God can do through us. And yet sometimes <laughs> I look at my prayer life and I'm, it's amazing how little I'm willing to believe sometimes, how, how little I'm willing to ask for. And I don't want to, I don't think that's okay. It's not okay for me anymore. It's not okay for my family anymore. <laughs> There's a power in recognizing and believing our true identity. What we focus on is what we become been easy to focus on what I'm not. Go into a situation or I make a mistake or I procrastinate, which happens, especially with my business stuff sometimes. And I put all this pressure on myself and I feel like I'm failing. And so I step back and I step back further, which causes further problems. But again, The problems come with me focusing on who I'm not 
rather than with who I am, with recognizing who God's called me to be. In James 1.23, for it says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who intently, looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets who he, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Hmm. How often am I guilty of going into the word and not putting it into practice? Of being a hearer and not a doer. Hmm. But I can also count some of the times that I've been the doer. Some of the things that I've seen. A friend of mine and I we used to go on prayer walks. We used to be youth leaders at Southgate Church in Langley. And uh, Friday nights after youth ministry, around 10 or 11 o'clock, we'd go on, on prayer walks. And this one night in particular, we ended up in an elementary school, and we were sitting up on top of some of the equipment, and we were talking and praying. And about 40 kids came into the field that night, drinking and partying. And they couldn't see us. And one of the kids was looking for a fight. He wanted to start something. And so we're sitting there and we're praying over this group of about 40 kids who had no idea that we were there. And the Holy Spirit prompted me to start saying, son, it's time to go home. And as soon as I said it, the kid who wanted to get in the fight got hit and couldn't figure out who hit him. Nobody admitted it, nothing. And every time I said, son, it's time to go home, two kids walked out of that field. Me and my friend looked at each other and we're like, did that just happen? And then we took turns saying, son, it's time to go home. And every time we spoke, two more kids left, two more kids left, two more kids left. And after saying it about seven or eight times, the rest of the group just dispersed. About five minutes later, the police showed up. A mom was there looking for her kids. And one of, it, one of her kids happened to be there. And so we had the opportunity to speak to the mom after getting reprimanded by the police because apparently you're not supposed to be in a park after dark. Uh, <laughs> and he very clearly wanted to let us know that that was not all right, even though we were sitting there praying. Um, but, but we had an opportunity to sit there and minister to, to the mom and let her know that each of those kids, they didn't all go in one direction. They all went in completely different directions. The party was over. <laughs> it was a pretty cool moment. We focus on our sin and our weakness. We won't overcome it. But if we focus on Christ's redeeming work, we're victorious. We can stand strong, not because of us, our, the strength that's in us, but because of his strength that's in us. We need to have a vision for ourselves, a revelation of who we are called to be. Proverbs 29:18 says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Hmm. I think it's time for us to, to get a vision for who we were created to be. 
not to be necessarily governed just by a, a set of rules and regulations of what I should do or what I could do or what I can do, but because it's actually ingrained in our nature of this is who I'm called to be. I'm called to have an impact. It doesn't matter where you, where you are or what you're doing, whether you're in school, whether, I mean, I have a business cleaning cars. I'm able to have an impact every time I deal with an employee, walk into an automobile dealership, talk to a sales manager, talk to a salesman. I can change the course of their day, maybe even the course of their life. But I need an understanding of who I am, who God is, and who I'm created to be in order to do that effectively. And as a church, I believe we're called to do that with each other. I think we're called to believe for each other, to believe more for each other. One of my favorite stories, the book of Nehemiah is one of my favorite books. And I think it illustrates this well. So Jerusalem was in rubbles. The walls torn down. Nehemiah hears about it and he starts crying over his city. And he goes to the king and he wants to rebuild the walls. And he faces heavy opposition. <laughs> kind of like the way the enemy opposes us. Trying to accuse us, find fault with us, get us believe, to believe that false narrative, to make us think that we can't do it. And the king allows Nehemiah to go, and he's able to gather the tribes together, gives each tribe a section to work on. And they start to go to work, but the accusations, the troubles keep coming. So we, each man's given a sword, and told to continue his work. And all they have to do, if they hear the sound of a trumpet, they come. All the tribes come and join together. Hmm. I've seen that play out here frequently. Since I've been here, Jericho's gone through some hard troubles or was coming out of it right when we started. We've seen some families go through some very difficult things and I'm sure many of which most of us don't even know. But when the trumpet's been blown, the church has showed up. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But I think we're called to, to do that even more. To share our battles with each other. to be willing to blow the trumpet. I know that's hard for me. It's hard for me to be authentic that way. But I know if I'm going to grow into the person that I'm created to be, I need to learn how to do it, and I need to trust each and every one of you. You know, the term church in the Greek is referred to as a public gathering. Far before it was used in, in a church setting, it was used 
in governmental meetings. And we're called to bring God's government to the earth. I don't think it was a consequence they chose the term church for our gathering. As we just discussed, we're, we're called to be ambassadors. We're called to be kingdom citizens. We're called to know what the kingdom or what God's will is on the earth. And we're called to do that together. We're called to impact our cities and the world around us. That's why going to House of Hope, or I guess Wagner Hills Women's Center, is so important. That's why the work in Guatemala is amazing, because we're able to bring the kingdom to people. Sandy's work with evangelism and the way he speaks to people. The Bible translations, the missionaries that we support, it's all part of it. And yet, whatever job as a teacher or detailer or whatever our job is, an accountant, we're called to go into the world and bring it. Sometimes it seems more glorious in a church setting, and yet each one of us is an ambassador wherever we're at. And it's, it's an honor to have the privilege to bring that the kingdom reality wherever we go. Colossians 3, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are all called, in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing grace, with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We did some of that today, didn't we? Worshiping and singing songs together. Worship's one of my favorite expressions. I could drive my wife nuts with it sometimes because I enjoy it. I, I can listen to worship music for hours and, and just want to be in the presence of God. And we're called to share God's word one with another, to encourage each other, to speak words of hope, to let each other know who we see, who they are. That's why the gifts are important. We talked about the tools of the kingdom a couple weeks ago. Hmm. To be able to prophesy over one of each other. Declare who we're created to be. Help bring hope. Reinforce a good sense of who we are. It's easy in the world to get overcome by by all the negatives. And we're called to lift each other up. That's why I love church. That's why I love the relationships with believers. You know, I've got, I've got lots of friends who aren't Christians. But the friends that I have the opportunity to sit with and pray with, we can be so different, not have 
anything else in common, and yet that's the person I would spend most of my time with. Because I walk away from that encouraged, hopeful, renewed, refreshed. We didn't just watch a movie. Felt like I was changed just from the conversation. Hmm. One thing my wife and I have been doing lately is declarations. So you can see I put some on some of the seats there. And uh, I'm going to get us all to say these out loud. Okay. I am a son or daughter of God. I am an ambassador of the kingdom. I am holy and righteous. I am worthy of love. And I am valued by God. We follow this blog online. Um, It's called Ignite Hope, I believe. Igniting Hope. Um, The ministry by Steve and Wendy Backland. And they regularly do um, values lists. And one of the most impactful ones that I did, they did a negativity fast, which sounds pretty crazy. But the challenge was to focus on who we were created to be for 30 days. Every time we had a negative thought, to find the truth and replace it. To regularly be able to look in the mirror and say stuff like, I am a son. I am an ambassador, I am holy, I am loved, I am valued. Change the way I view myself. Gave me courage to hope again in places where I had lost hope. And I hope that it will do the same for you.